Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of April 15th, 2021, including, is Kojima Productions working with Xbox for their next game? And more. Well, you heard that intro, which means, which indicates it's a slow news week, which could only mean one thing. Xbox has no games, PlayStation wins, console wars over. All right, but welcome to another week of Xbox On, episode 97. 97 weeks in. Uh, Yeah, thank you. Here we are. We're going to do this week, even though the news didn't really seem to bring it this week, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to bring it. So, you know, just because it's slow news week doesn't mean we won't find some bullshit to talk about. So rest assured, while we don't have a lot of news, we uh, we do have enough news, and more importantly, we have enough comments that I'm sure we could get this sucker to at least a, a solid hour and 40 minutes. What do you say? Now, here I am on this fine Wednesday evening, recording the show as I normally do. want to update you guys a little bit about something not Xbox-related, of course. Uh, my cat, Lala, Lavender, or uh, Lala as I, as I call her, she's she's been becoming a little bit of a, of a picky eater lately. I'm all, I just want to let you know this. Right before I record the show, we're trying to feed her her dinner, and you see this cat is starting to do something that a lot of cats do, in which uh, she's becoming an entitled little brat. She gets her two types of food, like one in the morning, one in the evening, so, you know, she, she gets some variety in her diet, but... You know, my girlfriend and I are right now going through a little bit of new parent syndrome, so a little bit of like, you know, our child can do no wrong, kind of spoiling right now. So right now we are doing a lot of like feeding her snacks when maybe she's had enough or, you know, oh, we're cooking dinner. Let's set aside some meat, unseason it, just kind of cook it plain and, and set that aside for her so the cat can eat some of the people food and certain things like that. And, you know, it's really cute. It's fun to watch. It's almost kind of sad because, and I assume everyone's pets are like this, because it, it's like, for example, say you're st- you're cooking steak, right? You're cooking steak for yourself one night, and you decide, oh, you know what? Fuck it, I'll I'll cut off like uh, like a, a cup like a bite or two of my steak, and I'll just kind of cook it separately. No salt, no pepper, no seasoning of any kind, no butter. Just splash a little water in the pan, throw some steak in there, and just let it kind of cook till it's not so raw, and then you know serve that to your pet, you know, so it's safe to eat, but whatever. And, you know, I assume any pet looks at that and is just like, oh my god, yeah, this is so much better than kibble or whatever the fuck it is you feed your pet. And so, like, that makes sense to me. I get why why pets in general are so into that. But it is a little sad because every time we do have a scenario like that, like if we're cooking fish, we'll give her a little bit of fish. If we're cooking, you know, chicken, we'll give her a little bit, whatever the case may be. She eats that that human food, she just scarves it down like she's never eaten before. And it's kind of cute and fun to watch, but it's also kind of sad because it's like, what does that say about the fact that most of the time we're just feeding our pets food that they they kind of tolerate and not so much look forward to eating? You know, it's like, I, I must eat to survive, so I'll eat this dry food. Or I must eat to survive, so I'll eat this actual can of shit that you give me from, you know, the, the Purina or whatever frisky cats or what's it called it's called the whatever the the cat canned food is but it's kind of sad because they always you know my cat and I know a lot of pets are this way they just kind of 
eat it like, oh, it's dinner time, it's feeding time, let me eat this at a steady pace. But no, my cat will devour human food if you give her human food. And it's just kind of sad to watch because it just says clearly that she's not enjoying her regular food nearly as much as she should. But maybe that's a little bit how we are as humans as well, right? You know, you eat like healthy, like brown rice and vegetables and you tolerate it. But then it's the weekend, you go to the TGI Fridays and maybe you're you're eating a little more excitedly because you're getting that that new big top donut cheeseburger menu item, whatever the case may be. Anyway, I'm just bringing this up to say my cat's become a little bit of a spoiled brat lately because now she's so used to getting her people food because my girlfriend and I spoil her so much that now she's just not eating her cat food. So, you know, Google says, and I, you know I'm being man, but my girlfriend Googled it, and they Google's telling us to to lay off the snacks and the treats and just kind of limit her solely to cat food to kind of retrain her that she has to eat her cat food. But, you know, it's a little hard because we are first-time parents here and we we love our cat and it's hard to say no, you know, especially when they're so young and cute. So that's a little bit about what's on my heart, what's on my mind. I need to share that with you guys. Also, just to say, I had my first kind of like um, instinctive, like just kind of like parental reactive kind of uh, defense moment this past week. I was with a friend of mine and he and his girlfriend have a dog and he, he knows that, you know, before I had Lala, I always wanted a dog myself. And he's like, I know you're, he goes, I know you're still a dog man deep down. But, uh, I was talking about how, like, he's like, how's your cat doing? I'm like, oh, she's great. She's opening up. She's, she's really sweet. We love her. And he's like, I know deep down you're still a, a dog man. And it just like immediately, like just super like motherly instinct, just knee jerk reaction was like, excuse you, like just kind of fuck you moment. Because while it is true on its own, yeah, I probably historically have been more of a, a dog person than a cat person. I don't need to. I don't need to hear that. That's not a relevant factor now, okay? Because the 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 fact of the matter is, my cat is the one in my life, and she's my daughter. And how dare you fucking insinuate that I'd rather have a dog or I'm more of a dog person? And I I kind of laid into him a little bit, and I kind of had one of those parent those defensive parent moments where I'm like, "Well, your dog's kind of fucking stupid and ugly, you dumb bitch. So why'd you bring up my cat or me?" being more of a dog person than a cat person when you know damn well I love my cat. So I had a little bit of, you know, one of those, like, uh, new parent moments. And I don't know if that friendship is still intact right now after that interaction, but I don't care. I love my cat, and uh, I'm willing to defend her. So now that that's out of the way, I guess we could talk about Xbox. Let's start this week's episode with some corrections, things I want to address from last week's episode. There's only two things I want to touch on here. Uh, the first one being about MLB The Show, which, of course, last week we talked extensively about how it's now not only coming to Xbox, but it's launching into Game Pass, meaning Sony's exclusive premier MLB video game is now best experienced in every way, shape, and form on Xbox Series X, the console that is more powerful than the PS5, the console that offers Sony exclusives for free, apparently, through Game Pass, and uh, yeah, and you can play it on a, a gamepad that feels better in your hands. Anyway, so my brother commented in and mentioned something that I actually meant to bring up last week, which is a really good point. Uh, he says, I think MLB being on Game Pass is probably a response to COVID hurting the sports industry. They're trying to put some energy into baseball again. This is actually a really, really good point that I meant to bring up, especially as someone who watches baseball, which is that, yes, obviously COVID definitely had an effect on sports in general because people were not able to go out to sporting events last year and 
watch games and a lot of games were canceled and seasons were shortened and delayed and things like that for all different types of sports. So yes, that's exactly what this is. This is this is the MLB's way of saying we need to try and make 2021 a very profitable season for us and we need to get creative with how we do that. And I'm sure part of it was going over to Sony and being like, "Listen, you know, obviously this deal was already kind of set in stone a few years ago where they said we want the MLB the show game to start coming to other platforms. But now I feel like they twisted their arm a little more. And they're like, listen, we're ostensibly the ones in control of this IP. We're the ones basically publishing it on Xbox. You have no control over this IP basically outside the PlayStation ecosystem. So they, it seems like what happened is they basically just took it, took it over to Xbox and shopped it to them and said, yeah, we'll put it on game pass. Just name your fucking price or Rather, the other way around, Xbox probably said name your price because Sony has, since the news broke, Sony's come out and even said basically this decision was made over their head behind closed doors between Microsoft and the MLB. This had nothing to do with PlayStation, basically. And so, yeah, that tells you everything you need to know. This is 100% an MLB decision, and this is exactly a response to to COVID hurting MLB. And on top of that, you got to keep in mind even in a world without COVID, the MLB, the Major League Baseball, is definitely a sports franchise that is like just slowly waning more and more in popularity. And it's actually something that makes me kind of sad because baseball, to me, will always be the most American and iconic American pastime. I really love baseball in that respect. It It's one of like the few things I think of, and I'm like, wow, that's a, that is like a proud American tradition is like baseball, right? And even though, of course, nowadays, I think most people would probably say American football is the most American thing. It is important to note that baseball has, you know, COVID aside, has just been naturally on the decline for years. So the MLB is this is one of those like we need more ways to diversify our our revenue streams and get our brands and our products into more people's hands to try and, you know, not only grow baseball instead of have it decline, but rather just make it more profitable in the, in the meantime, because I mean, the MLB doesn't exist for our entertainment. Well, it does, but it exists for our entertainment so that these franchise owners and, 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 and people can make money. Anyway, I don't know. I just want to put that out there. I thought that was a good point. Now, our second thing I want to bring up, continue on with is our conversation from last week when I started the show by kind of talking about the whole is game pass profitable slash sustainable conversation how you know i've always kind of come at it from the angle of it's not because that's a thing i've been told and a thing i've heard but i'm not really smart enough to weigh in in any which way and i kind of left it open to you the audience to come back and add to this if you had anything to add and a handful of you did so i want to i want to read off some of your great insight that many of you shared uh, over the past week regarding the Game Pass and whether or not it's profitable slash sustainable conversation. Count Scottula gave us a little chunky paragraph, but that's okay. It's a it's a chunky pull it's it's a dense paragraph, but it's in the best way possible because it's all interesting information. So put on your listening uh put on your listening caps. I I think it's always been a thinking cap. I don't know that there is a listening cap, but put on your listening caps, you little fuckers and here we go. Count Scottula reads, Game Pass may not be profitable yet, but it's definitely sustainable. There's articles where Xbox references that games on Game Pass sell two to four times better than games not on Game Pass on average. They also say that Game Pass gamers spend 20% more on microtransactions for individual games and spend money on microtransactions for games on average since Game Pass users play so many extra games. Xbox is targeting 50 million subscribers by the end of 2023, which would bring around 500 million a, a month plus better game sales. 
plus more microtransaction sales, it all starts to curve north exponentially. I'm personally fascinated in this because I own a software as a service company. We charge 150 times less for an annual subscription on average than companies that simply sell you software license for a similar product. I actually have meetings with other companies regularly asking how our model could be could possibly be sustainable, and the answer is the snowball effect of reoccurring revenue on an ex- in exponential growth. The subscription model lets us undercut pricing, have reliable revenue, no CD sales team sell add-on to extend value, and customers genuinely feel like it's a better value than having their software get old after five years and to have to renegotiate another massive contract to get updates and support. In 15 years, a Game Pass stands alone. In 15 years, if Game Pass stands alone as the best game subscription service, you can bet they could have 200 million to 500 million. Honestly, who knows how common it could be. Subscribers, and it will all suddenly make sense. The gaming population is only growing at this point. That's a, that's a really great point, Count Scott and I And I get what you're saying. That's kind of the Netflix model as well. But, you know, I'm listen, I'm not going to weigh in here and claim to know shit about your business because I, I don't. I only know the small amount of... <laughs> what you what you uh shared in this in this uh comment here but again the thing that i i get the whole snowballing effect i get the whole it's like well once you reach a number of subscribers that's just massive it's the amount of revenue you're you're breaking in from that reoccurring you know monthly uh subscription is just so much that it becomes sustainable at a certain point i get that concept but again it's like games are so expensive they're so very expensive that, you know, ga- games are often way more expensive than movies. And the thing I don't get about it is it's like, m- to keep Game Pass compelling and interesting, Microsoft has to spend lots and lots of money on getting new games. And depending on whether it's a small game or a big game or from this publisher or that publisher, or whether it's internally developed, which is eating 100% of the cost by just throwing it out there in- onto the service, you know, it's just, it becomes this thing of like, the cost of doing business versus the amount of profit you're bringing in. I get the concept. It's just, especially when you're talking about gaming, it's just such an expensive product they're offering that they had to have such a massive user base to really make it profitable. And I, and I get that, you know, until, until it gets to a point where the user base is just stupid large, that's where especially things like microtransactions come into play and things like, oh, well, now this game is leaving Game Pass and then Game Pass subscribers go out and buy it, buy the game discounted because it's no longer on Game Pass and things like that. I understand how those those kinds of features and in, in, in added perks play a role in the how to make this thing profitable uh, conversation, but again, it just... These numbers are so big and vague that it's just hard for me to understand. But not not like I don't get the concept, but hard to understand as in like it's it's really like it's it's really down to like I don't know. It's like you really got to see the math to understand if it's I, I don't know because I guess the thing I get hung up on so much is like Netflix has notoriously like been in a precarious situation for like the majority of their of 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 that company's existence as long as it's been a streaming service. And it's because it's just they take everything they make and dump it back into Netflix. And, you know, it's just I I don't know. Judging off how Netflix has done it and become more successful over the years, I'm guessing there's a lot more money to be made in actually making your own content than licensing other content. I'm guessing 
because it's just a way to better control costs, maybe. Um, because, I mean, you get to set the budgets of games based on, you know, what you see being sustainable or profitable. Whereas, you know, if you're just paying like Rockstar for their game, they get to kind of name their price. Does that make sense? I, I don't know. It's just, again, there's just so many factors. It's just hard for me to wrap my brain around. That doesn't mean I don't get it, get it. It just means I don't get it. You get it? Lethal Migraine adds in a little bit, and I cut yours short a little bit, Lethal Migraine. I really liked your first point here, but you say, how does Fortnite make money? How does Apex make money? How does Warzone make money? Hell, how do non-free-to-play games make money? An overwhelming majority of these games make money through microtransactions and DLC. Now multiply that by 380 Game Pass console games, 258 Game Pass PC games, 248 xCloud games, and Xbox takes a cut out of every one of those purchases, and now you're getting every game for quote unquote free in game pass people are willing to spend more on any and all dlc i get this i get this point and this is this is speaking a lot to what count skyless says and i and i get it there is listen there is definitely this this effect of having a subscription service like game pass where you're like wow i'm saving so much money by using game pass instead of buying my games that you know if i want to buy a game it's like it doesn't cost that much because i don't spend money on games because i you know, that kind of like workaround magic that like mental gymnastics we do as consumers to kind of justify buying games. For example, you know, I uh, I was on my Nintendo Switch earlier this week and I was like, you know, do I want to try that uh, tra- uh, Trails of Cold Steel game? Maybe I've been in a weeby mood lately. Maybe I want to play this uh, RPG Trails of Cold Steel. So I'm looking at it on the Nintendo eShop and every entry in the franchise is still $60 on the eShop because Nintendo and because fuck you and because everything's always expensive there. And I'm like, you know what? I don't buy a lot of games anymore because Game Pass and I don't have to buy MLB The Show, which I was was planning on buying because it's coming to Game Pass now. I didn't have to buy Outriders a few weeks ago because it came to Game Pass, but I was planning on buying it originally. So in a way, I've kind of saved 120 bucks on games recently. So I guess I could buy this game on my Switch and... You know, that's kind of the logic Xbox relies on. Not so much, you know, with you buying games on Switch, but with that same logic applied to other purchases on Xbox being like, well, I guess I could throw some money into this game because I didn't even buy the fucking game. I just got it for free because of Game Pass. So now I feel less bad about buying the DLC or buying the microtransactions or cosmetics or whatever because I didn't have to spend any money on the game to begin with. I just played it for free through Game Pass. I'm sure games like Outriders in particular and MLB The Show are going to make tons and tons of money off of that. And in fact, that's probably part of why the MLB wanted the show on Xbox so bad is because they look at games like Madden, uh, which is an incredibly... Uh, or Madden or FIFA, which are incredibly littered with microtransactions, these games and their newer iterations. And that's a huge part of what makes those, those franchises so uh, profitable for EA. It's not just the annualization of the franchise, but rather how they've been just littered with microtransactions. That adds so much revenue to EA's bottom line in, in, in recent years has been the microtransaction revenue from games like Madden and FIFA and shit like that. So you think about that same concept and you got the MLB basically saying, hey, let Xbox give us a bunch of money to put that game on Game Pass and we'll lose the, you know, we'll potentially miss out on the on the game sales because we just want to put that game in front of as many users as possible so that they can buy microtransactions within MLB The Show and, you know, not only get new users because now Xbox gamers have access to the franchise, but also get new users and introduce them to the concept that this game is all about spending money in the in-game store. So I get it. It's smart on a lot of levels, and I'm sure the the numbers are there and the data is there to show that this really does work. I get it. But yeah, again, again, it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy to think about. 
I'm not denying it. I'm just uh, I'm just in awe. Okay. And then lastly, for this topic, uh, Vexed on Twitter uh, reached out and said. I know the number the numbers on game production seem high. On average a AAA cost a AAA game costs around 60 to 80 million dollars. Game Pass has 20 million subscribers times $10 right now. That's 200 million a month in growing or 2.4 billion a year in revenue. Not even talking game sales which stay high or microtransactions. They could fund two AAA games a month in profit. I would like to point out that all you guys have very different numbers that you're throwing out here for similar things, but I I get the concept somewhere. I think with all the numbers being thrown out here, somewhere in the middle of all that is pretty, you know, roughly like what we're talking in terms of, you know, cost and revenue and things like that. So I, I get you. But yes, that, that is a good point. Um, AAA games, I mean, you're lowballing a little bit because, yeah, there are there are AAA games that cost 60 to 80 million dollars. A lot of AAA games cost way more than 60 to 80 million dollars. You know, like, games like Last of Us Part 2 cost, like, I think that game, doesn't that game, I think that game's production was, like, over 200 or 300,000, 300 million dollars or something like that. I'm looking this up right now. Production cost, Last of Us Part 2. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm looking up here. It seems like a lot of these games are closer to, like, the 100 to 250 million dollar range for the budget. Because you gotta, you gotta keep in mind, even if a game only costs, like just like sub a million dollars a hundred million dollars to develop you still got to take into account marketing costs and for triple a games a lot of time the marketing budget is some a, a lot of times double what the production you know budget is there so you think about a game like halo infinite that's been in development for like five six years that game's definitely got well over a hundred million dollar production costs and then once you consider the marketing push and all the product tie-ins and all that shit Halo Infinite it probably has cost way over two hundred million dollars in production alone, but but yes, I mean I, I mean that's like a triple triple A game, not you know not just like your regular kind of game. But the the point being that games are very very expensive to make, and I don't want to I don't want to underscore that, but I do I do see your point, I do take your point, especially the thing that gets me more so than the amount they're making off of Game Pass alone, because that's the part I really don't get. Um, or I really don't stand by is is the whole you know the numbers showing that people are engaging more buying more games spending more on microtransactions even with Game Pass that's the part that's promising to me in terms of making this a sustainable service uh, and I know Phil spent or I know that Xbox has you know s- spoken to that in the past so I appreciate all your write-ins everyone who wrote in with your your nice insight your kindness no one scolded me too hard for being a, a dumb dumb so I do appreciate that. Um, but with that said, let's jump into our regular comments of the show, our, our, our popular opening segment where, you know, you head over to youtube.com, you look up second best gaming, you click on my channel, you see the Xbox on playlist and you go, Oh, what the hell is this? A cars three video. Ah, that's not Xbox on click on the Xbox on playlist. Okay, good boy. Then you click on the Xbox on playlist and you're like, Oh, here's the latest episode, episode, uh, 97. And then you leave a comment. You say something nice, like, uh, uh, I think they should change uh, social distancing from six feet to 69 feet and then comment. And then I read that on the air and then uh, lethal migraine responds to your comment with another comment. And he goes, uh, 69 feet is a dumb amount of feet. Uh, and then comment. And then I, I read that on the air and then uh, all of our non us listeners commented and say, what the hell is feet? And why are you using that as a, a unit of measurement? And then I'm like, um, good point. And then that's a comment we read on the show. So this is how you get read on the Xbox on. Please do leave the comment, say nice things, uh, or, or don't, 
But our first comments, our first section of comments this week has to do with uh, topics uh, relating to pizza, Taco Bell, and my own hypocrisy. So our first one here comes from Corey Long, who says, I don't know, Jesse, your Disney pizza nostalgia sounds quite a bit like the combat evolved nostalgia syndrome that you were going on about not too long ago. Smirking emoji. Also, a moment of silence for my local Taco Bell. It is run by small brains. There's your moment of silence. And also, I don't like you calling me out on my uh, on my hypocrisy, but that is what this uh, section is, is titled, is uh, Pizza Taco Bell, My Hypocrisy. Now, we've talked about the, the, the pizza. We've talked about the hypocrisy. Now, let's jump into the Taco Bell. You say, story time? My sister and I went to a drive-thru to get one thing each on separate orders. They couldn't do it because they were busy, and they didn't have time. There was one car in front of us and the entire team back there. So I reply... Well, what if we pulled back around? Yeah, we did, and we sp- and we spitefully ordered 15 items. So my favorite part about this isn't that you're like, oh, fuck these guys. They're not going to you know, do like the basic function of their job and just let us order on separate tickets. But let's spite them by just go- like looping around again to do the second order. But my favorite part about this isn't that you, you, you followed through and-, and you had the commitment to be like, fuck it, we're doing this. But you're also just like, I'm only here for one item, but... Now, to spite you, I'm going to spend additional money of my own and order 15 items. Please, Corey, write back in next week and let us know what happened to those other 13 items. Because you said you and your sister were there for one item each. Uh, That totals two, and you ordered 15 items in total. Uh, So 15 minus two leaves 13. That is some very complex math. See, if Xbox Game Pass numbers looked a lot more like those numbers, I'd be able to understand Game Pass better. But please do explain to us. Please do let us know. What happened to those other 13 items? Did you guys overindulge and consume them all? Or did the refrigerator get uh, a welcomed gift, uh, a welcome round of Taco Bell wrapped guests into its abode? So please do keep us uh, uh, posted on on how that went. Count Scottyla writes in and says, Cabana Bay Beach Resort, now on my bucket list. Count Scottyla, damn right. You You put that beach resort, you put that Cabana Bay all the way at the top, but just... But make sure it's under Pop Century, because if you've if you've never stayed at Disney's Pop Century Resort, you gotta put that at the very top. I would have said Disney's Caribbean Beach Resort should be pretty high up there, but then they remodeled it and fucked it up. So you put that one down there on the bottom, right under the uh, 192 uh, motels, because that's where it belongs now. But you put that Cabana Bay pretty high up there, because it should be up there. Joe Murphy says Taco Bell story. Lots of Taco Bell stories. I like this. You guys, we should do a uh, we should do like a YouTube channel, like a Taco Bell story time. Um, but Joe Murphy says, so the other day, myself and a few of my kids went through the drive-thru to get some food for dinner. We ordered a lot. Then we got to the uh, pay slash pickup window. There was about four people at the window. Then one asked, so we all in here were wondering and had a little bet on if all the food was for your lunches all week or if it was your dinner for your big family. So then I rolled down the window to the back and said, it's for dinner for my five kids, myself, and two other adults. The order was four big bags and roughly $75. Joe Murphy, I don't know uh, what currency you're talking about here, but I, I do want to let you know, any man who spends $75 on the Taco Bell drive through in one order is a man I trust implicitly with my financials. So I'm, I, I don't know much about what you know outside of the things you've commented on. I don't know what you do for a living. I don't know uh, how you are with managing money and whatnot. Uh, I mean, you have five kids, so you got to be somewhat decent with your money if you're, uh, if, you're, if you're pulling that off. But I guess what I'm trying to say here is 
if you're the kind of man who can look at a place like Taco Bell, who can see an establishment like Taco Bell and say, yeah, I could drop 75 bucks there right now if I wanted to. I look at a man like that and I say, how do I become like you? And that, you know, just just to, since we're on the, t- the topic of spending lots of money at Taco Bell, Corey, I want to extend that to you as well. You guys are you guys are putting me to shame a bit because I used to, I always proudly, you know, when, when Taco Bell is brought up in social situations, which it quite often is, uh, I usually am the guy who's like, oh, yeah, I don't know why people are always talking about, like, Taco Bell is so good and cheap. It's like, yes, it's so good, but it's not cheap. I never get out of a Taco Bell drive-thru without spending anything less than, like, 13, 15 bucks. So, and that's just my personal order, no one else. And so, now that I've, I've been outclassed, you know, by Corey and her sister ordering 15 fucking items in the drive-thru and Joe getting four large bags worth $75, you know, of Taco Bell uh, for him and his, you know, what I can only assume to be incredibly grateful family who love him very much because, I mean, he got got them 75 bucks of Taco Bell. I I have to extend to you guys that I don't know you very well, obviously, but uh, I I trust you implicitly. And and, uh, as someone who's recently begun the search for a financial advisor... I seek your wisdom in all things financial because let's let's just say you know how to spend right. Now, guys, that's it for the Taco Bell pizza and, and hypocrisy news. You notice how I kind of shied away from that. You got a couple comments following up on last week's topic about a bounce house being a suitable alternative to a traditional camping tent. So here's part two of that. Mojo writes in and says, what the fuck? Censor me in my giant Series X brain. How dare you, YouTube? Literally censored me telling you episode 94's outro. Power your dreams, F you, was the best, yet no doubt. Furthermore, a bouncy house tent with a girl or two, or just one heavy hottie. Hell yeah, now you're talking. Peace. <laughs> P.S. Just got into Knockback Podcast. Running through all the episodes now. Giving it a 9 out of 10. Definitely a great listen. Okay. Let's just skip past that first one, Mojo. I'm, that's just not how I was thinking about Bounce House. But uh, I'm glad you're listening to, to Knock Back, and I'm glad you're enjoying it. May I, Might I recommend, about about a year or two ago, maybe, God, maybe closer to two years ago, they did an episode on fast food. It's a very good episode. I uh, here here's a, here's a bet I'm willing to make with you, Mojo. If you can listen to the entire Knock Back episode about fast food, and resist the urge after having heard the whole episode. Resist the urge of getting wherever you are, getting out to a drive-thru and ordering something that day. You know, whether it be Taco Bell, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, whatever you, whatever it is you got to do. If you can resist the urge to order fast food after listening to that episode, uh, I will I will change the outro of the podcast for the next three podcasts in a row to whatever you want it to be. I will let you determine what the outro to the podcast is. And that's total creative free reign. Whatever music you want to play at the end, whatever outro saying you want, whatever it is, I will let you custom make that outro. If you can avoid, resist the temptation to order fast food after listening to that episode. Balls in your court, Mojo. Uh, Count Scott says, so we actually own a bounce house. It's like three-fourths the size of the one you would rent, so it's a little smaller than the full-size one, but plenty big to sleep like eight people on it. I just laid on it for like an hour before, and it's super comfortable. Ah, I win. Uh, uh, It also sets up in like five minutes or less easily. However, the fans are super loud, like too loud to sleep over. Uh, if we if we leave it on overnight, it's coated with condensation. You'd be like drenched staying out there all night. So two things. I will say the condensation is something I had not yet considered. So, okay, point for uh, the naysayers there. But I will also say 
I, uh, uh, as far as the fan noise goes, I, now I know you use the giant, you know, uh, inflatable thingy fan to, 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 to erect the bounce house. But for some reason in my head, when I first uh, introduced the idea of the bounce house as a tent in my head, I thought, you know, like, oh, it's probably like a quiet hum. It's probably, it probably like fades out like white, like white noise, you know, kind of like, you know, just like a nature sound. Maybe you hear it and you kind of forget you're hearing it, but it seems like it's uh it's quite intrusive. So it seems like I need to rent a, a bounce house and, and test this out. Although I live in an apartment, so I have no, no land to try this on. Squall flips Mad Max. Uh, is this just, you just, you just change your name flips. What is this? You change your name and your avatar. Don't go, don't go. When you do this, I get confused. My, I don't know what to do when I see similar person, different different avatar. So what, what's up with that? But you say personally, I rent. I rent an RV. I never sleep in a tent. I get sick, and I still get weirded out about the fact that bugs will still end up in the tent. Uh, I'm sure that's a really real uh, fear, but I got to be honest. I've only slept in a tent like one or two times in my life because I have no real desire in doing that. So I I, I can't tell if that's a normal thing or if you just uh, suck at properly pitching a tent. Squall flips Mad Max. See how I turn things around on you for uh, changing your picture. Joe Murphy says, speaking of bounce houses uh, to use for camping, a few weeks ago, I had the kids' small bounce house up in the backyard, and they asked if they could sleep in it. I said, sure. The next day, they told me they loved it. I didn't enjoy hearing the air pump that was keeping it up all night running. It's loud. Besides that, it would work good. All right, Joe, that's uh, two points for the whole it's too loud to use as a tent. I don't like losing that battle. My mother says a bounce house tent sounds like an awesome and comfortable idea unless you're doing a primitive unless you're doing primitive camping and then there would be no electricity to blow the thing up. Well, since noise is basically out the window with how loud these goddamn things are, I'm introducing that if you're going to do like real extreme camping out in the middle of nowhere like grizzly bear country camping, I'm going to recommend you just go ahead and you bring a generator and then you hook up your bounce house to the generator. And while you're at it, maybe you get one of those big inflatable projector screens and you hook up your Xbox and you you do yourself a little uh, Halo Combat Evolved uh, split screen multiplayer and you sleep in a bounce house and fuck it. Maybe even order some uh, Chuck E. Cheese pizza through DoorDash and have it delivered out into the middle of the woods. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like a that sounds like the best camping trip uh, of all time. Squall flips Mad Max coming in with his fake name and his fake avatar says, call it a bounce, call it a bounce tent and everyone will be happy. And then Wes says tent who uses a tent, throw up an Inu or hammock and you'll be straight. Only PlayStation fanboys and Taco Bell haters use tents. Bounce houses though has bounce house though has potential. Well, Wes, Wes, I see the point you're trying to make. But I don't think you're being considerate of the fact that some people, like myself, live in the great state of Florida where uh, alligators and hurricanes exist. So we can't just sleep in a little hammock like you're suggesting here because we need to protect ourselves from nature. We need to protect ourselves from the elements because some of us are fragile and some of us are 21st century humans who are accustomed to uh, roofs and proper housing and electricity and all the modern conveniences that are afforded from bounce houses and inflatable projection screens and Chuck E. Cheese DoorDash delivery. So some of us need the extra accoutrements. We can't just sit, we can't just go in a Wyoming or wherever the hell it is that you're setting up these hammocks and just uh, live out on the range like some goddamn farmers. Okay, Wes? Thank you for writing in. Moving on from the tent conversation, Mike Carrera comes in. Mike Carrera, Correa comes in and says, 
Uh, hey, Jesse, you remember G4? Well, apparently it's coming back and it's going live this year. I don't know how it's going to do, but if it's going to have the OG hosts Morgan Webb and Olivia Munn, I'll totally be gleaming. Remember that pro gamer T squared that had a that bit where he gave pro gamer tips on Halo 3 maps that everyone would abuse the next day? Hoping to God they do without that guy. <laughs> I don't remember that guy at all, actually, but that's funny as hell. Uh, I Yeah, I watched a fair bit of G4 growing up, for sure. G4 is something I uh, I definitely have a lot of fondness and nostalgia for. Um, coming home from school and flipping on G4 is uh, definitely, definitely something I remember quite well. Um, I was a big, big fan of, of uh, X-Play, and, um, you know, I watched some other games like um, Attack of the Show. Like, occasionally I liked what is it called cinema play or whatever cinema uh, whatever the one is where it just shows like gameplay of video games i watched cheats sometimes but i wasn't that into it i don't know there's a it was like there was a, a couple shows on g4 i watched a lot but i didn't watch everything on g4 but uh, yes i was a, a big fan of the x play and i i love the idea for nostalgia's sake of g4 coming back but the reality of it is i think we've evolved and moved on so much from g4 that it's kind of like this thing, you can't recreate the, the magic. And on top of that, G4 kind of hurts a little bit because when I was young, I, I really admired and loved uh, Morgan Webb and, and Adam Sessler, the hosts of X-Play, so very much. I thought they were both incredibly talented and funny. And while I actually don't have anything against Morgan Webb, I in fact, I'm not even too familiar with what she's been up to all these years, I, I kind of hate Adam Sessler a whole lot. He's become such a, a little bit of a cuck boy on the internet in recent years, and I just can't. Honestly, can't stand him, and it kind of breaks my heart a little bit because I just have so many great memories of him and his show from when I was young, and now every time I see him, I'm just like, ah, oh, this fucking guy. So I, I don't know. It's I don't even know why I bring that up other than to just say it's like, you know, my connection with these hosts isn't the same as it was anymore, and these shows are kind of antiquated and don't really, you know, make sense in the age of YouTube where, like, you know, as great as these shows were for the time, uh, I think their kitschiness and campiness and kind of kind of low-budget, fun, camaraderie kind of thing it had going for it was fun and worked because it was at a time right when we were on the advent of, like, YouTube becoming a real popular thing and right before, like, the whole idea of, like, these independent content creators really became a whole thing. So it was, like, kind of the precursor to that in a way, kind of the stepping stone away from, like, you know, like, the TV format you're familiar with but with, like, a fun, edgy for kids and gamers kind of twist that really worked. And it was a great stepping stone from traditional cable media into like the era of YouTube. But now that we're so balls deep into like, you know, social media and YouTube and things like that, I think the format of G4 probably won't work. I can't imagine whatever this reboot of G4 they're doing is. I can't imagine that it's going to work. And I assume it's very heavily YouTube oriented anyway, but you know, wishing the best for all the people involved in this project. I know there's a lot of excitement around it, and I and I'm and I'm glad you're excited, Mike. I hope it ends up being great. Personally, I'm uh, I'm going to choose to remember G4 for what it was and appreciate those memories and move on and continue to just watch. Uh, you know, when I want my video game content, watch the likes of like Act Man and 
video game donkey and uh and scott the waz because uh that's that's the kind of modern day g4 that i i look forward to but lethal migraine writes in with our next comment and i and, and uh he says look at your comments a few weeks ago i already tried mountain dew whiteout one sip right into the trash it's awful note the same gas station with mountain dew uh goji citrus strawberry has the has bottled mountain dew whiteout i will try whiteout again tonight just for you jesse and the and then clean that disgusting taste out of my mouth with goji dew. Lethal migraine? How the fuck has Sarugi not banned you yet? That's all I gotta say about that. And now we get into the rest. The remainder of the other comments, if you will. Scout, Scout, Scout Cotula, or Count Scotula, if you want to read it, not like a dyslexic freak, says, The optics on MLB The Show situation are bad. I just bought a, B- a PS5 this generation, and I'm like regretting my purchase. I told myself this will be great. I'll never miss out on any game, if I'm interested in it, of course. But with so many games on Game Pass, I can't justify any game for 70 bucks now. I'd pay $40 maybe for Eternal Max. I have been playing Oddworld Soulstorm, and it's okay. Uh, it was a free game, which is incredible, uh, but it has this painfully un- unintuitive throwing mechanic that I absolutely hate. You know, Count Skyla, I've heard similar things about Oddworld, where it's like, oh, good thing this game was free, because it's good, but not like pay money for it good. So you're not the first person I've heard that from, uh, from at least anecdotally. But yeah, man, I... I, hey, I get it. Especially, you know, if you're if you're a PlayStation gamer who hasn't who either hasn't played Xbox in a long time or just doesn't play Xbox or even Nintendo or whatever and like you're just you're on PlayStation Island, you just play your PlayStation, that's totally cool. I can get how it's like easy for you to just be like whatever. PS5 is just like PS4 is just like PS3, you know? New games come out, we spend money for it. <clears throat> when you take into account inflation, spending 70 bucks for a new game really isn't that big a deal because, you know, 70 bucks in 2020 one is a lot more like 60 bucks in 20 in 2006 when the PS3 was out whatever i get it we're cool you know maybe it's easy to keep it going but especially if you're someone like Count Scotula or what i assume a lot of us are like which is where we're pretty like you know maybe we have a preference or a special appreciation for Xbox you know you listen to the Xbox on podcast there's a decent chance you fall into that camp but you know you're somewhat of an agnostic gamer you appreciate and admire all the platforms it it's really hard and becoming increasingly hard to justify and defend platforms like PlayStation and Nintendo when they don't have services like Game Pass. And, and I think actually Nintendo can justify it better than uh, than PlayStation because I think with Nintendo, it's so often that like Nintendo's hardware, especially in recent generations, is like the secondary console, you know? It's like everyone's primary console is either their PlayStation, their Xbox, or maybe their PC gamer. But Nintendo Switch is like almost no one's primary console. No one's like, oh yeah, I play Switch and nothing else, unless you're like a really casual gamer who bought your Switch to like play Mario Kart and Animal Crossing, and otherwise you don't really play games. But for the most part, it's like, yeah, I do my gaming on Xbox, or I do my gaming on PlayStation, but my Nintendo Switch is there for the Zeldas and the Marios and the Smash Brothers and games like that. So it's somewhat justifiable on the Switch because it's like you get like the added perk of like oh it's portable and you get the whole like well this is like that secondary platform that i buy far fewer games on anyway so a subscription service for switch doesn't matter as much because you know i'm gonna do most of my gaming through game pass anyway so i i get it a little more for nintendo but especially for playstation it's becoming this thing of like oh so you're telling me this is a a platform that's pretty similar in power and in specs to xbox pretty similar in concept and approach to xbox but instead of just paying 10, 15 bucks a month and getting all this awesome shit, I just kind of buy each game for 
50 to $70 each. And if there's a game I'm mildly interested in, I either bite the bullet and buy it or and regret it or, you know, just never play it because there's no game pass like service to be like, Oh, let me give this a whirl and see if I like it or not. So it is becoming a, a more and more difficult situation and a tougher pill to swallow for people who are either usually more primary Xbox than they are PlayStation or people who are a little more like curious about PlayStation, but don't traditionally go over there. I feel like the advent of game pass and the perks of this generation have kind of made Sony a little more of like a, a landlocked platform. That's like for PlayStation fans and people who have always played PlayStation and not so inviting to people, you know, new, like, does it make sense to say Xbox is giving non Xbox uh, players lots and lots of reasons to pay attention to Xbox and give it a try this generation. Whereas PlayStation five is giving PlayStation fans and PlayStation players lots of reasons to upgrade to the new PlayStation, but not many reasons for non PlayStation gamers to jump ship and come over. And I understand it's like, well, PlayStation already has the bigger install base, but it's like, that's not how a business should be run. Like Sony shouldn't be like, well, we're really uh, invested in maintaining our player base. No, they should be like, we're really invested in growing our player base. And right now, if you look at the way things are going right now, even though Xbox has the smaller install base as a platform, Xbox is poised to grow its install base, whereas PlayStation is poised to maintain its install base. And I mean, that's de- when when you're on top, like PlayStation is, when you're in when you're in the number one spot, like PlayStation is, the worst thing you can do is stagnate. You know, that's not what you want to be doing. You want to keep the momentum going. And I think comments like yours, Count Scott, you like kind of point out that uh, PlayStation is has positioned themselves, especially against things like Game Pass, to to maintain or to stagnate, not to boom and grow. Although maybe the numbers suggest otherwise at the moment. Yeah, my brother even says to your comment. He got a PS5 recently and feels kind of similar and doesn't really turn his on. But look at that. All that uh, all that means is you should be playing uh, Fantasy Star Online 2 on Xbox. We're like almost 50 minutes into the comments. But guess what? It's a slow news week, so shut up. You can fast forward another 10 minutes if you really got to get to the news. But for those of you who know how to take it slow, let's round out with a few more comments. A couple quick ones. Got one from Sam Torres here that we got to dig into. And then a couple of wrap-ups. A couple of really fast ones. Rapid fires, if you will. And we'll move on, okay? Sam says, HBO Max is fine. Really can't make a four-hour movie that I would go see in theaters. I don't care if it's if rumors had it that they edited out Gal Gadot's bush. I just can't sit in the same place in public for that long. Unless I had uh, torrential diarrhea and had just shit through my clothes and was waiting for sundown. Well, that's a really uh, uh, vivid comments this week. Uh, also, I believe uh, a Monkey Joe's manager took an inflatable slide with a crawl through camping uh, in the woods. Animals relieved themselves all over it and deflated from the excess weight. No idea of whether or not the manager was trying to uh, charge them to play on it or or animals aren't into impromptu birthday parties or just fancy rubber shit and piss shrines, etc. Uh, Sam, and for those who aren't familiar, Monkey Joe's is like a place you take kids with a bunch of inflatable bouncy uh, obstacle courses and things like that where you bounce around and run around and exert energy and eat birthday cake. So that's what Monkey Joe's is. That was a comment. One too many people uh, uh, talking about bounce houses in relation to nasty shit. And uh, that's a squall flips. Mad Max jumps in for the third or fourth time this week because he says, maybe if I change my avatar, Jesse won't notice it's me and he'll read me so many times. And guess what? 
I guess it worked. Because you said, bro, Outriders is so damn fun. The gameplay loop is very good, and I liked it. I ended up purchasing it. Glad this game kicking is kicking Avengers butt. And, you know, after they made Spider-Man exclusive, it was dead to me immediately. I actually agree. That's how I felt, too. I was like, oh, Spider-Man's exclusive to PlayStation? Okay, never playing Avengers. As an Xbox player, never playing Avengers. But, yeah, man. Here we are. Here's a little anecdote. A little anecdotal evidence that these Game Pass people, you know, we got Flips Mad Max being all, hey, this game's free on Game Pass. I like it. It's good. Let me buy it and support them. Look at that. I guess it does work. Nice. Lethal Migraine says, dedicated handhelds are for babies. Either play games from the Play Store or Game Pass or forget about it. You can play Outriders on mobile. MLB The Show will be there too. That is in reference to me last week saying that I was going through a little bit of a Nintendo Switch renaissance, and I've been playing my Switch uh, lately, despite the fact that I often rip Nintendo to shreds on the show. Uh, So that's what that was in relation to. My brother jumps in and says, I actually agree with you. Handheld consoles are dumb. Phones render them obsolete. I'd like to switch... I'd like the Nintendo Switch 8,000 times more uh, if it were more powerful than a home console. If I'm in a car for an hour, I don't need a dedicated console for the experience, especially if that means the rest of my time I'm using it at home and it's underpowered. So I guess what you're saying is you'd like to see Nintendo make a powerful home console rather than a severely underpowered uh, portable hybrid. But whatever, I get it. To each his own. Okay, first of all, both of you guys, you're entitled to your opinions. Let me just say, there have been so many times as, you know, in recent years, as I mentioned many times on the show before, I have fallen out of love with Nintendo so much over the years, and I've leaned harder and harder into my love of Xbox over the years. You know, it used to be like, when I was little, it was like, I love Nintendo, I like Xbox. Then I got to like my middle high school years, and it was like, I love Xbox and Nintendo pretty much equally. And now I'm getting older, and it's like, I kind of hate Nintendo, and I love Xbox so, so much. And that's kind of how that inf- the, the, the two have kind of just changed over time. Um, why am I bringing that up? Because I gotta be honest, I really have been having a little bit of a Nintendo Switch renaissance, a little love affair with my Switch lately. I've, in fact, been playing my Switch more than my Xbox the past two weeks, which I'm not proud to admit, but it's the truth, and I gotta be honest with you guys. So, I gotta say, I've wanted so bad for mobile gaming to be a a thing that I can view as, like, legitimate, and I've wanted so bad for things like uh, Project X Cloud to be a thing as well, but I, I got it doesn't work for me, man. I've, I've tried. And now there are definitely, I think everyone has the example. Everyone, even not mobile gamers, has had the example of like a, a phone on their iPhone, a, a game on mobile here or there that's kind of taken their attention. There have definitely been mobile games throughout history where it's like I'm oddly really into this game right now, and you play it a lot, and that's fine, and it's fun, and it's good, right? Uh, for I think for me, most recently, uh, there's a game called Hot Wheels ID that I got pretty into for a while there. I was playing it a lot last summer uh, on my Razer phone, which is a gaming-focused phone, um, before I switched to my Microsoft Surface Duo. And, you know, it's a Hot Wheels game, and I played the fuck out of that all summer. And I'll be honest, it was nice. But I can never look at mobile gaming or even xCloud as like a super viable alternative to handheld gaming. Because it drives me nuts, this concept of, well, not only, one, is gaming just less comfortable on a phone because of the control setup, but two, the the kind of constant anxiety you get about your battery depleting on phone, it just makes it so, immediately renders it a, a, not an option for me. 
So, like, I would like to sit there and play, you know, I think about, like, the theme park, right? I love to go to the theme parks. I like to pack light when I go to the theme parks because I hate carrying a bag around a park, a theme park. I hate using lockers at a theme park. But, man, wouldn't it be nice when I'm sitting in lines for rides I've been on a million times to just whip out a, a, a video game and just play that video game and then put it back in my pocket and go on the ride? I would love to do that. But here's the problem. I can't lug a Nintendo Switch around a theme park especially if I'm not wearing a backpack because because it's just this big, bulky, inconvenient thing that's just not portable enough when I need it to be portable. Well, the phone solves that because it's more portable, but here's the problem with the phone. I need my battery to last. I'm not going to run around a theme park and just have my battery deplete, so I, I, I'm in line. I want to use my phone for gaming, but I know gaming is going to obliterate my battery percentage so I don't play games. And so it's for me... I, that's why I see dedicated handhelds of still being a viable option because even though in that example I just gave you, I, I rendered both of them obsolete. Um, I think more often than not, people find situations somewhat similar to that where they're like, yeah, I, I mean, I'd rather play a more full experience like Monster Hunter Rise or Zelda Breath of the Wild uh, when I'm on an airplane or on the train or the bus than whip out my phone and play Candy Crush Saga, which is like just kind of a more shallow experience. Also, I'd like to save my battery on my phone for the day so I can continue to communicate with the outside world and get on Twitter and be heated about things that didn't matter to me until five seconds ago. We need our phones for those things, so we can't just deplete our batteries and blow them all on playing a Hitman Go, you know, on our fucking iPhone 3GS. So that's the problem with me, Lethal Migraine. This isn't you just being negative for the sake of being negative like usual. This is me wanting to agree with you and take your point, but I can't because... And don't write back with the whole buy a phone with a better battery or uh, use a have a second like a portable battery that you carry along with you because all of those are not real solutions. There's no battery on a phone big enough and suitable enough. You know, even those newer phones with like 4,200 milliamp batteries. I don't care. Those those batteries are still not big enough and good enough for me to be like, oh yeah, I can confidently game all day long on this fucking phone while using it for social media and phone calls and texting and web browsing and all the other things you do on your phone. It's just not a solution. It's not an option. And lugging around an, an external battery and a USB-C cable so you can charge from the external battery to your phone, also not an option. It's just totally stupid. And it, and if you're an iPhone user, don't even get me started on those ca- those big, bulky, ugly cases that charge your phone and also serve as a case. Not an option. There's no solution. There's only problem. Thank you so much. And our last comment comes from one Mr. Miggy. I saved the best for last. You know I love you, Mr. Miggy. I find it weird how PlayStation introduced PlayStation Now before Game Pass included things like cloud streaming, but they never invested in the way Xbox has with Game Pass. They have their Game Pass competitor, but don't put exclusives on it. Mr. Mickey, this is, you're right, you're right about this, but you're also kind of wrong because they're, they're the same, but not the same. So yes, you're absolutely right. PlayStation bought Gaikai, which they turned into PlayStation Now, right before the PS4 came out. So like 2013 or 2012 was around the time they, they did that. And so yes, they had... PlayStation Now and that technology and that kind of solution before way before Game Pass was a thing and they totally beat Xbox to that. You're absolutely right. But because Sony insists on just, I don't know, being stupid with PlayStation Now, I would say that it is not a competitor to Game Pass. It really isn't. Because PlayStation Now, I think last time they talked about it, they said it had like three or four million subscribers, like something really small and abysmal like that. 
So first of all, just compared to the success of Game Pass and compare, comparing the amount of subscribers to PlayStation Now to the amount of subscribers to Xbox Game Pass, and then also taking into account the amount of time on the market both those services have been around, it's not even a competition. Xbox Game Pass is way more a thing than, than PlayStation Now is. So first of all, that. Second of all, the reason why PlayStation Now can never actually be a Game Pass competitor isn't even because PlayStation doesn't put their first-party content and launch it into PlayStation Now. It's not even because of that. It's more than anything, it has to do with streaming. It's because PlayStation Now is exclusively about streaming games, and no one fucking wants that. See, the, the reason why Game Pass is so goddamn cool is because I get the real experience. I go, Outriders is on Game Pass? Cool. And then I download Outriders to my Xbox and I boot it up and play the game off my console the exact same way I would if I went out to the store, bought a physical copy, and popped the disc in my console. The same way I would if I went to the Microsoft Store, bought the game digitally, and downloaded it to my console. It's the same fucking experience from a subscription service. It's awesome. And now, can you stream with Game Pass? Of course you can. You can stream through xCloud. You can stream on your PC. And I like, I, I hope at some point in the future, they add streaming to the console in a more like mass market, full feature set kind of way. Uh, because I think it'd be awesome if you could be like, oh, uh, you know, Red Dead Redemption 2 is on Game Pass. I've always wanted to give that game a try, but I never have. Uh, let me stream it for a couple hours because it's an 80 gigabyte game. I'll stream it for a couple hours. If I find it interesting, then I'll download the whole thing and play through it. But if I find out it's like not my thing, then I'll just stop streaming it and be done with it. And that way you don't have to waste your time downloading and waste the hard drive space. That'd be a really great feature for Xbox uh, Game Pass, and I hope they add that. But other than that, that's why Xbox Game Pass works is because it's about the real full-fledged experience first and the streaming solution as the alternative, as the as the option for when you can't have the real thing. This is why when Phil Spencer talks about how they see Xbox as being a multifaceted brand with the console and the PC and the and the Android devices and all these things with cloud and, and the most powerful box ever made, this is how all these things are able to coexist is because when people sit down on their couch in front of their 4K TV on their $500 next-gen, super-powerful, 120-FPS uh, gaming box. They want the real deal. They want the full experience. It's like what my brother was just saying about the Switch. He plays the Switch on his couch. He doesn't play it in the car. So that's why the Switch doesn't work for him, is because he wants Nintendo to make a device that's powerful and beefy and good for the way he plays games, which is at home in the living room. And this is where Xbox Game Pass works and where PlayStation Now sucks. Because PlayStation Now would be really cool technology if I could get on my phone and stream any PlayStation game onto my phone and play it that way. But when I'm sitting on my PlayStation 5, which costs 500 fucking dollars, and Mark Cerny wasted an hour of my life a year ago telling me all about how fast the SSD was... I don't want to stream that experience. I want to play it on my super fucking powerful PlayStation 5 on my beautiful 4K TV. And Sony doesn't give you that option. And that immediately, above everything else, renders PlayStation Now a non-competitor to Game Pass. And it will, it will continue to remain that way until they address that. Until PlayStation Now, I don't care if they had to up the price, I don't care if they had to throw in the first party content, all of those things are tertiary to this main point, which is that PlayStation Now needs to add the ability to download the game onto your console or else it doesn't fucking matter. That will always be the case because that's what console gamers want. So that's that's the main thing. That's that's why I can't see them as one-to-one -one competitors. I think PlayStation Now is a cool experience. Uh, it's a cool service and I especially appreciate it because 
it solves a very unique problem for Sony in a way, which is that you may remember PlayStation 3 kind of fucked everything up because they used that that proprietary cell architecture to design the for the the console that made the console incredibly intricate and powerful for the time, but insanely obtuse uh, for porting and in making games accessible for bringing to new generations of hardware and putting it on different you know, competitor hardware and things like that. So PlayStation 3 was always a notorious console for just being really hard to develop for, and it's made it really difficult for Sony to make PlayStation 3 games backwards compatible so you can play them on your PS4, so you can play them on your PS5. So even though that's a huge mistake Sony made a long time ago, PlayStation now somewhat solves that problem by allowing you to stream your PS3 games on the PS on the PS4 or 5. But again, the problem is I don't want to play Uncharted 2, you know, or whatever on PlayStation Now and stream it. I want to play it on PS5 and get FPS boost like Xbox gives you and get auto HDR like Xbox gives you. And I want it to just be there in my library because I bought it 12 years ago on my PS3 like Xbox does where it goes, oh, I noticed you bought Sonic Unleashed in 2008 on your old four gigabyte Xbox 360 back when you were still playing on a CRT TV because you... We're too poor for a 720p, 32-inch screen TV. Don't worry, we got you. We just throw that shit on your Series X. Download it in 10 seconds. Play on your 4K TV. The frame rate's better now. You didn't have to do shit. It's just there. That's why Xbox works. That's a, now, I'm, now I'm just getting passionate about Xbox. God damn it. <sighs> I need a cheesy Gordita Crunch to cool me off. But, Mr. Miggy, thanks for writing in. I, I, get, I, didn't, I didn't realize I had so much to say about PlayStation Now, but... I get heated about that because PlayStation Now is a really cool service and a really cool technology and PlayStation is squandering the shit out of it and they really can't afford to because even though they're on top right now, I think I think PlayStation and Sony are in trouble in the long run if they don't if they don't start making decisions soon, you know? Obviously, talks and things are happening behind the scenes, but we, we better start hearing some things soon because Xbox is coming for you, baby. Now, that's going to do it for all of our comments, shoutouts, whatnot. I let it go a little long this week. Why? Because it's a slow news week, so... I promise you guys a, a absurdly long Xbox podcast each week, and I like to think I deliver on that regularly. So here we are, an hour in, and we haven't even gotten to the news. So with that said, guys, remember next week, maybe you could uh, be right on the air. Maybe I'll insult you. Maybe I'll ask why Sarubi hasn't banned you. Maybe I'll uh, agree or disagree with what you had to say. But whatever it is you decide to do, don't be shy. Reply. Next, let's jump into what I've been playing. But before I can tell you about what I've been playing, i got to tell you about what I've been eating. And guys, I'm really sorry to let you down, but this week I have nothing interesting to say about what I've been eating. I've been been pretty boring this week. I've been uh, doing the regular, you know, nothing. I, I didn't try anything new and adventurous. I didn't go someplace cool. Just been doing a lot of the uh, sticking to my calorie count, studying my little uh, my little IT A plus course. What do you want me to say? Okay. Now I do I do want to pose one thing because I, I, it would be a real shame if this segment had nothing at all. So I do want to pose something to you. And I've been eating a lot of you know to keep. To keep myself from going insane with this calorie counting thing, I'm like, you know what I should do is I should spice up work lunches so that, you know, my day's not plagued with just boring food. So what I do now is I get these hoagie rolls from Walmart or whatever, these little six-inch hoagie sandwich rolls, and I throw them in the freezer so they're good all week. And then every morning before work, I pull one out, I cut it open, I toast it so it's like nice and fresh. And then I throw some cheese and some meat on there and make like a little sub sandwich. So it's like... You know, it's not super filling because as a, as a fat food lover, I would prefer to eat like a super loaded, like foot long sub, 
but you know, trying to be good. So I do the little, the little sub. I do like chicken breast cause it's lower calorie. I do like, I try to be interesting with the cheese and, and not go too heavy on that. I skip the mayo, you know, I try to keep it simple, but fun enough that, you know, work lunch is somewhat doable so that I'm not miserable all day with my calorie counting. The reason why I'm telling you this is because earlier this week, I made the mistake of getting Swiss cheese for some reason. I meant to get provolone, but I had a weird, like, I had like a weird uh, frame rate hit, hitch in my brain. And I was like, oh yeah, Swiss cheese. And I put it, we, we went ahead and we picked that up instead. And I fucked up. It's my fault. I take responsibility for it. Jolina, if you're listening, I'm sorry. And what I wanted to post to you was, well, what happened was, I'm, I was like, fuck it, I bought Swiss cheese, my mistake, whatever, I'm not wasting this food. So all week I've been making my sandwiches with Swiss cheese. Normally I would use Havarti or White American or Provolone, um, but I'm using Swiss because it's what I got. And what I do before I eat my sandwich every day is I just throw it in the microwave for 30 seconds just to kind of like warm up the bread and get the cheese warmed up and everything. And to my surprise, the Swiss cheese has been entirely serviceable. It's not the best it's not the best choice for the sandwich, but it's entirely fine. In fact, it's more than fine. It's good. And it got me thinking, you know, all my life, I, I, I was born into a pretty typical American family in, in terms of like, we ate pretty like typical American food. Uh, I didn't grow up in a family where like we ate like really crazy stuff. You know, I wasn't like raised by some fucking San Francisco kale eating motherfuckers or nothing like that. You know, it was uh, it was like meatloaf and and pasta and shitty regular food, you know, whatever. That's not a slight to my mom's cooking. That's a it's a slight to our un, our lack of adventurous eating. You know, those are those are those are habits I picked up later in life. But the point I'm trying to make is, to me, growing up, sandwiches were always simple, like white American cheese, and then like whatever ham, turkey, bologna, whatever cold cuts it is that kids eat. But as I've gotten older and I've just explored food and worked in so many restaurants and just been exposed to so much food, I'd like to get a lot more interesting with the sandwiches. So actually one thing I like to do when I go to the store is like, you know, I, instead of going to the deli and being like, Hey, slice this and slice this. What I'll, go is, I'll do is I'll go over to the deli and they have like this little section where it's like, uh, here's a bunch of meats. We sliced like two hours ago and we prepackaged for you. So you can just grab and go. And so what I do every week, because they're constantly throwing out different items is I'll just be like, okay, what meats do you have this week? What cheeses do you have this week? And I try to mix it up. I'll be like, let's try this cheese. Let's try this meat. I like spicy meat. So I like Buffalo chicken. I like like uh, spicy salamis and shit like that, whatever, capicola ham, whatever you got to do. So I try to, I try to get a little fun and interesting. I like smoky cheese. Like if they got, they got smoked Gouda, we're in business, right? So I, I look for stuff like that. But what I've realized is the world of cheese is such a special world. And I guess that's why it started with Swiss today, but it's been, it's been, this is, this is a fire that's been burning in my heart for years now, which is the, the world of cheese is so special. And so I want to extend the invite to you to reach out and let us know what are your ideal cheeses when you're making a sandwich? Like what does that sandwich look like and what cheese are you using to complete it? Are you not using cheese? Because if so, I bet you don't bleed, but please do write in. Let me know what is the ideal cheese growing up for me. I would have said white American cheese, but now I'm like, you know, white Americans fine, especially if you're eating like a chicken tender sub from Publix or something like that. But I think there are better choices for cheese uh, especially if you're getting a little fancier with the meat selection. Like if I'm going to go and get like an Italian sub, you got to do a little provolone or a chipotle gouda or something like that. And I want to reach out to the audience and, and, and have you write in. Just let me know like what, what are your go-to cheeses for your deli meats, for your cold cuts, for your sandwiches, 
I'm interested to know. Now, next, I guess we'll jump into what I've been playing. Remember, as I alluded to earlier, I'm still, I'm, I'm trying to stay really focused on this studying right now. I'm taking this uh, IT class, this A-plus certification class, and as of this week, I'm pretty much done with every lecture. I've gone through and watched the entire class. Now I'm going back, re-watching, taking notes so I can build study guides and things like that. I'm going to try to get this certification the next couple months. So I'm really, I'm really dedicated to that. I'm two weeks down. I've been studying every fucking day, except on podcast days, except today I did manage to sneak 30 minutes of studying in. So I'm pretty proud of myself in that. I'm staying consistent. Even when I don't want to study, I still find the time. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this certification, and then I'm going to tell you guys all about the components of the Xbox Series X. I'm going to tell you all about the NVMe uh, SSD storage and what that means and everything, but you got to give me some time because I'm not certified yet. So until I got that certification, you can't trust my words. So calm down. So I haven't really been playing a lot of games. I've been still playing a little bit of that Tokyo School Life on my Switch a little bit every night. You know, I like to play 15, 20 minutes of it as I fall asleep. I'm hoping that Karen, it's not Karen, not like Karen, like, you know, Karen, compilation Karen. It's like, Karin, it's like a Japanese name, um, but I'm hoping she will notice me. Um, she's the girl I'm going after in the game right now, and I don't think she likes me back. But you're supposed to try and date one of the three girls, and I think she's the one uh, I'm most interested in because uh, she seems to hate me the most. So I want to know why she doesn't love me back. So that's what I'm doing right there in Tokyo School Life. I played the Trails Trails of Cold Steel three demo on my Switch. I was like, maybe. Maybe this is an, a JRPG I'll like. And then I played it and I was like, this is actually a pretty cool world they've built here. But no, I don't like it. I, I still don't care about the JRPGs. So skip that. And in keeping with my weird kick lately, I've been, I've just been watching a lot of anime, really into Japanese shit again lately. I'm really feeling the itch to go back to Fantasy Star Online 2. And, that, and I'm excited for it because that's going to bring me back. It's going to keep me in my little anime phase I'm in right now. But it's going to bring me back over to Xbox. So I think I'm going to do some Fantasy Star Online 2 this weekend. I'm looking forward to that. Otherwise, just been watching some uh, some teen romance anime, some slice of life anime, some comedy anime. Really enjoying the shit out of that. So uh, that's what I've been playing slash consuming. Now, guys, it is an Xbox podcast, and while we're light on news, I think it's time we jump in and talk about what we do have here to, to discuss. All right, our first story comes from Windows Central. You know they're our number one source. we got to use them. And the story reads, The rumor mill is always turning with the talk of a new Hideo Kojima project now circulating, an involvement from Microsoft. Following up on the 2019 release of the PlayStation-exclusive Death Stranding, speculation on Kojima Productions' next game project have ignited. From helming... From helming a Silent Hill reimagining to a full Metal Gear Solid remake. But with a new report, it appears that things could get crazier, possibly. According to a new report from VentureBeat via GamesBeat editor Jeff Grubb, Kojima is currently in talks with Microsoft and its Xbox Game Studios publishing, armed for its next game. The report states that the deal has not yet been closed, but rather an ongoing conversation between the two firms. Uh, this reportedly supplements Microsoft's initiative to leverage more Japanese-developed uh, talent across the Xbox ecosystem. This comes as Microsoft continues to expand its overseas presence, including Japanese content on Xbox systems and Xbox Game Pass. Kojima's long-standing, with, uh, long-standing relationship with Sony comes from the beginning at Konami, including its biggest deal to date with PlayStation for Death Stranding. That led to PlayStation's first-party studio, uh, Guerrilla Games, providing not only essential development help on the project, but also granted Kojima access to his studio's in-house Decima game engine. But at the same time, this comes Hideo Kojima, now headed an independent studio with an established reputation, is going against expectations. So here, there's a, there's a lot to dissect here, and this was kind of breaking like as we were recording last week, so 
Sorry if it feels a little late that we're getting to it, but this is a really interesting conversation to have because first things first, I totally believe this. This is still technically in the rumors speculation category of 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 uh, news, but I believe it. Whether or not this will happen, you know, that's yet to be seen. But I believe these conversations are definitely happening, and that Microsoft and and the the Xbox team is trying to strike a deal here with Kojima and Kojima Productions. So this is one of those rare examples where I think this is all a game about optics. Death Stranding, you know, which came out in 2019 on PS4 exclusively. It's the first Kojima Productions game, you know, after Kojima left Konami, after all the uh, fallout with Konami and Kojima, after Metal Gear Solid Five came out and all that stuff. Death Stranding, exclusively on PlayStation, published and mostly funded by Sony and co-developed, not co-developed, but developed with aid from PlayStation's team Guerrilla, the people who make Horizon Zero Dawn, made on Guerrilla's own engine, Decima, as the story notes here. Um, that game... Death Stranding kind of flopped a little bit. Now, it got tons and tons of press because it was a big first-party PlayStation game. It got tons and tons of love from Kojima fans, and it got lots and lots of press coverage because PlayStation, because Kojima. So naturally, it gets all eyes on that game. You know, for better or for worse, who cares? But yes, that game drew a lot of of attention, but sales-wise, from what we know, it sold just okay. It was kind of soft. And reception-wise, it was like the first Kojima game ever to kind of get mixed reception. In fact, there was a lot of negative reception about that uh, reception about that game. the The most, like, the best thing people had to say about it was how incredibly unique of an experience it was. But it was one of those, like, at the risk of like ostracizing a lot of people because a lot of people played that game and were put off by it and were just like, "This is weird. I don't know what this is. I don't want this." And then a lot of people played it and were like, this is weird, I don't know what this is, and I love it, and I want more of it. So Death Stranding was a pretty polarizing game, to say the least. Um, so you look at this, and you're like, okay, you got a guy like Hideo Kojima, who had a rough relationship with Konami up until, you know, he left and got away from them. And his, you know, he has a legendary reputation. He's one of the most well-known game developers, uh, designers, directors, writers in the history of video games. He's so incredibly well-known, so well, highly regarded. Uh, you have a guy like that who's maybe, you know, gotten a little too in his head at this point in his career. And you think, is the thing that grounded this man, Konami, kind of keeping him at bay, saying, no, 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 stay focused on Metal Gear. That franchise is popular. That franchise sells. And and, and we're at this point now where it's like, is that kind of what kept him successful? Was Were these years of being kind of limited and caged into Metal Gear Solid? Because the second he was cut free and allowed to just be like, hey, here's blank check, go make whatever you want. When Sony allowed him to do that with Death Stranding, he made something that was pretty unique, but really obscure and weird and, and polarizing to a lot of people. And so, you know, one one project, Death Stranding, isn't enough to really make that decision or draw that conclusion. But it's a it's an inherently risky thing at this point for someone to be like, okay, we saw what Hideo Kojima did once he spun off from Konami and went on to do his own thing. And it wasn't that impressive in terms of like introducing the world to a bit a brand new IP that's plenty successful. It wasn't that impressive. In fact, it kind of failed to be the next big Metal Gear Solid type franchise. So Sony Sony's kind of approach was like, we're done. We're good. You know, we have Death Stranding. Thank you. Bye. And they didn't even publish the port of Death Stranding to PC. Uh, I forget who did. It was like 505 or someone like that did. I, I don't remember who. Maybe it was Private Division. I think I thought it was 505. 
who ported who published it on PC. Don't quote me on that, but Sony basically just pulled out after that and were like, okay, we're good. And so at this point, it's like, well, this is the perfect opportunity for Microsoft because Hideo Kojima is someone who is incre- still, even after Death Stranding, incredibly highly regarded and well-respected in the industry. He is associated with making not just like good video games or popular video games or well-talked about video games, but like the kind of video games that are like industry-defining, experiential, and artistic, you know? So if you put Hideo Kojima's name on a project, people look at that, you know, with like fucking like Oscar bait, like glow in their eyes. It's that kind of, it's that kind of project when Hideo Kojima is assigned to it. So I think Xbox desperately needs stuff like that because those kinds of games are usually so heavily associated with the PlayStation brand. And so Xbox needs that stuff. Xbox also needs more Japanese content and more of a, more of that market. They've been struggling to get it. They've been yearning for it forever. This is a great opportunity in that respect. Sony's kind of like, okay, we're done with him. That one and done thing. Death Stranding didn't really perform how we wanted to. You go figure out what you want to do next, buddy. Again, perfect opportunity for Microsoft to swoop in and take him. And the thing that makes all this make especially good sense is that Sony can't afford to just be like, oh yeah, you may or may not make a successful game, but we'll take a chance on you, right? They can't afford to do that because Sony's whole thing is like, they just want nothing but the highest quality of games. Microsoft can afford to do that. Microsoft's got the money. Microsoft doesn't have this track record to uphold of only releasing the highest quality of games. Microsoft's usually associated more as the fun brand. That's like, yeah, fuck it. We'll put out a little cartoony uh, Battletoads game and then fucking State of Decay 2 alongside Gears 5. Like, we don't care. We just want cool, fun games. So I think with that being kind of the way the, the cards are set, it makes perfect sense for Microsoft to swoop in and be like, Hideo Kojima... Here's Game Pass. Here's our amazing amount of money we can offer you. Here's all the time in the world. Just get to work with your team. Let us know what you need and go create what it is you want to create. We're here for you. We need this on Xbox. I think that's exactly the kind of thing they need to do. Because even if it runs the risk of being like Death Stranding and not being incredibly successful from a sales perspective, you know, if he goes out there and makes something kind of obscure and artsy game like Death Stranding, Xbox needs that. It's not about the money they're going to generate from selling copies of that game or getting people to subscribe to Game Pass just to play it. It's about the optics and the conversation that's going to develop around Xbox, where suddenly you got a guy like Hideo Kojima who always draws the attention of the YouTubers and the games media and the personalities and all that stuff. You get a game, a guy like Hideo Kojima attached on an Xbox project, suddenly the media is constantly covering this. Xbox this, Hideo Kojima that, Japanese content on Xbox, Japanese content on Xbox, Hideo Kojima on Xbox, Metal Gear Solid guy on Xbox. That sounds really, really good. And I think Microsoft might want to invest in a Hideo Kojima game exclusive for Xbox, if nothing more than for the association, the goodwill, and the press that comes with it. It's not about the money. And Microsoft can afford that. Whatever it is, you put it into Game Pass and you market the fuck out of it as we got Hideo Kojima on Xbox, suck it. And it's another, and it's also another way for them to have one of those stories where it's like MLB The Show, where they're like, wow, they took the PlayStation guy and put him on Xbox again. Another great story for Xbox. This is a very easy win, and I cannot imagine Hideo Kojima would say no if you just offered him the right amount of money. Because right now, even though Hideo Kojima is a name that I think publishers would just throw their throw themselves to his feet to get him to work with them. I think a lot of publishers are out there looking at game or looking at Death Stranding and thinking to themselves, hmm, don't know if we want to work with that guy. He might be like too creatively unhinged 
you know, to be easy to work with. And he may be too dedicated to making projects that might not be lucrative or safe financial bets. And as we reach this world where gaming is just becoming more and more expensive, you know, game development and where publishers want to take fewer and fewer risks, there are very few companies other than Microsoft that can afford to be like, yeah, we don't care. We want you. Because Game Pass, this is, this is, and Death Stranding is a perfect example. If Death Stranding had been an Xbox game all along and not a PlayStation game, it could have done so much better because Death Stranding, a really experimental new genre, new type of game, could have done really well on a service like Game Pass where people could go, hmm, Hideo Kojima, that's interesting, but that game looks kind of weird. I don't know. Game Pass is the perfect place for people to be like, I'll give it a try. Let's see what happens. PlayStation for $60, only no other option, not as good a place to try that out. So I think Microsoft can also leverage that. You know, Microsoft needs some Japanese talent on their platform. They need the press and the good the goodwill from the media of having something like the Metal Gear Solid guy on Xbox. So Microsoft needs to benefit in those ways. And Hideo Kojima can benefit from Xbox from saying, hey, you can be more creative and experimental on our console because we have Game Pass. So you can make something more obscure like Death Stranding that might be a little more off-putting to players who want experiences they expect, like third-person action or stealth or open world, like what he normally created before Death Stranding. And he can go ahead and make whatever that... Uh, he, call, he called Death Stranding a strand-type game. So whatever the fuck that means, he can go ahead and make a strand-type game on Xbox and it will do better just by way of people being like, yeah, I can afford to give it a try. All I got to do is download it and give it some time. You know, you don't have to put the financial investment behind it. I think this is a match made in heaven that needs to happen. Microsoft needs to do this. And I, I cannot imagine just like how Microsoft went to Bethesda and made an acquisition on a studio that wasn't for sale. Microsoft needs to do the same thing with Hideo Kojima, even if it's only for one game. They need to go up to him and say, we need you on Xbox. And if he says... Uh, sorry, I'm not for sale or I don't want to work with you. You name the price until he does want to work with you because this is a really, really good move for Xbox, especially as they're trying to gain traction in Japan. Now, I will say there is a thing about Hideo Kojima where I do feel like he's almost one of those examples of like, yes, he's Japanese and he can help Xbox establish itself better in the Japanese market. But I almost feel like Hideo Kojima isn't one of those like names where it's like, oh man, Japanese gamers love games this guy makes, and so it will make Xbox successful in Japan. No, it's not like that at all. I think Hideo Kojima is one of those names that's like universally beloved, so it's like this man is working on this project, therefore everyone's going to care about it. It's going to get probably more press in North America than it would get in Japan, just because by virtue of you know there being a larger population in the U.S. versus Japan, there being you know more opportunity... Uh, to market and sell this game to a larger audience. So, again, and and that and if anything, that's the kind of thing Xbox needs to lean into more because if Xbox is is out there looking at like how can we be the JRPG machine or like the obscure like Nintendo Switch, PlayStation Vita, like Japanese smaller indie game or visual novel platform? It's like they're not looking to become that. They don't want that. They want their Monster Hunter. They want their Final Fantasy. They want their uh, Metal Gear Solid. They don't want you know their their smaller type games. And I don't know. K- K- Kojima potentially represents that. They want they want to be in the Japanese market but not with like these small hitting games or these things that are like so incredibly niche that's like huge in Japan, but not big anywhere else. They want, you know, like Resident Evil. Resident Evil is a Japanese game 
That's big everywhere. Everyone loves Je- like Resident Evil, whether you're in Japan, whether you're in the States, whatever. But, you know, they're not looking for something that's like pretty authentically Japanese, like a like fucking what's a good example? Like um like Danganronpa. Like a game that's like extraordinarily Japanese and really popular in Japan, and then is only popular outside of Japan when you look at like Western kids that are really into like Japanese culture or like Japanese entertainment, like manga and anime and shit like that. Like that's a little more of an obscure game. They don't need to be fishing for things like that. They need to be fishing th- for things like this. In fact, Xbox used to have one of those games. It was called Dead Rising. I don't know why the fuck. You know, with Dead Rising 4, that one went to PlayStation. It was on Xbox and PlayStation, but it went multi-platform. I don't know. Whatever happened with that? that was, that's Capcom. Anyway, now I'm just getting ahead of... Now, now I'm getting so far off topic. But anyway, I think this is a really good opportunity. And I think whether or not this happens, this is the kind of thing where I think Xbox needs to put 110% effort into trying to make this happen as much as it can. Ha- as much as it can. Now, the last thing I want to mention here before we move on is that famously, after Death, after Death Stranding came out... In interviews, Hideo Kojima said, I don't want my next project to be a video game. I want to make movies. He famously said he wants to get into filmmaking more. So I I almost wonder what does that mean for, you know, the future of Kojima Productions? Does it mean Kojima Productions is going to become a movie studio or does it mean... Uh, maybe that's like a passion project I'll do with a second company I'll start or what, what does that even mean? Because, you know, if the rumor is Xbox is trying to get Kojima on, on their platform, I mean, the last thing Xbox wants to do is green light a movie or a TV series, because remember Xbox is trying to get games on their platform. They're not trying to go back to 2013 and be all games, 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 or TV, 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 Call of Duty TV. So that's the other side of the story. It's like, what on earth is Kojima even interested in making next? Because after Death Stranding, he said he wanted to make movies. And also, you know, what we've seen from him recently is he wants to get more obscure and experimental, which I'm all for. Death Stranding is a game I've never played, so I won't speak to it, but it doesn't look interesting to me. I look at that game and I have no interest in it whatsoever. But I am interested in the idea of Hideo Kojima focusing more on making obscure or new things or just experimenting even if it results in things like death stranding over the idea of him going back to things he's made in the past like metal gear solid because we have other things out there that are like stealth games or like you know like um political espionage games you know we we have things like that you know metal gear solid might be the best example of that kind of game but we have other games like that we have siphon filter which isn't around anymore we have splinter cell which is hopefully coming back soon but the point i'm trying to make is like it's cooler to see kojima be like let's let's make something the world's never seen before um and i think you know it's it's a high risk high reward kind of thing and if you know let's say the next thing kojima makes is really experimental and really weird like death stranding was but unlike Death Stranding, it's something that hits and it becomes a huge phenomenon and blows up and the world loves it. Well, what if that happens to be the game that they greenlight with Xbox? That would be a massive win for them. So I, I think high risk, high reward, really great, if anything, just for the optics and the conversation surrounding it and the big dunk points they get on Sony. Uh, and if anyone can afford to do it, it's Microsoft. Not only that, but if K- Kojima wants to continue to do obscure shit, Game Pass is the platform for it over anything, not the $70 only PlayStation 5. So that is my wrap-up on that. Our second and only other story of the week comes from IGN, and it reads, Bioshock 4 developer Cloud Chamber, you know, the new recently formed studio um, put together to make Bioshock games, um, is now hiring 
And a new job description for a senior writer may have guessed some hints at what's in store for the franchise. The new job listing, which was first reported by PC Games N, is specifically targeting applicants who, quote, can weave impactful, character-driven stories in an open-world setting, end quote. The senior writer also will assist in, quote, primary and secondary mission content, suggesting that the new Bioshock will allow players to veer off the main path throughout the game. The role will be charged with assisting the, quote, creation and execution of the core story, including the writing of dialogue and other character narrative elements as directed, end quote. Side content isn't necessarily a revolutionary concept for Bioshock, of course, although older entries in the franchise have been a little more on the straightforward and linear side, specifically with games like Bioshocks 2 and 3, or Infinite, as it's properly called. Anyway, I uh, this isn't a massive story, um, but I think it's interesting enough, which is to say... It wouldn't surprise me if, you know, Bioshock 4, which is going to be the first Bioshock, by the time this game finally comes out, it's going to be the first Bioshock in over in a decade or more by the time it finally comes out. Um, developed by a totally new developer, not Irrational Games, which is no longer a studio that's around anymore. You know, not led by Ken Levine anymore. Um, this is going to be a different Bioshock. Kind of in the same vein of how Halo 4 is really different and really changed Halo. I think even more so, Bioshock 4, whatever the next Bioshock game is, is going to be a very different Bioshock. So this makes all the sense in the world to me. And, you know, this could be read one of two ways. Either with all the change and with all the new direction, they're going to try to go open world and lean really hard into that with Bioshock, which on the one hand you can see because every AAA game is a fucking open world game nowadays. It's just how games are made. Or the other way, which is that they're using the phrase open world in a little more loose of a context, meaning just like, oh, the game has exploration and character choice and places you can return to after you've been there. So therefore it's open world. Because keep in mind, especially with Bioshock 1, it's a very almost like Metroidvania type experience where there is a lot of backtracking, going back to places you've been before, uh, ways to get off the beaten path and explore a little bit, collect and things like that. So not a full-blown open world a la Grand Theft Auto by any stretch of the imagination, but Definitely a little more open-ended than your typical first-person shooter. Bioshock 1 was certainly no Call of Duty of linear, funnel you through the level, shoot, 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 never see that place again, next level kind of thing. So Bioshock's always been a little bit in the middle. Uh, 2 and 3 specifically are more linear. I never played Bioshock 3, to be fair, but from what I understand, 2 and 3 are a lot more linear. I have played 1 and 2, and I can definitely speak to 2. It's definitely more linear, although that game was not made by Irrational. Anyway, yeah, I... I think somewhere in the middle. I don't think they're saying we're going to make the Red Dead Redemption 2 of Bioshock games. You're going to be so blown away by how incredibly dense this open world game is. I don't think that's at all what they're saying. But much in the way that games are just open world now, even if it's just open world in the sense that like Tomb Raider is open world, you know, I think the next Bioshock is going to have a lot more of an emphasis on open world um, exploration, which even though I constantly complain about how there's too much open world, I think it actually really could potentially work well for Bioshock because it is a game that is so incredibly dependent on its environmental storytelling, which is something that Metroidvanias or open world games are the best genres for exploring that kind of thing. So inherently, I think if you need to evolve a formula like the Bioshock gameplay formula, I think going open world is actually not a bad idea at all 
And that's coming from, again, the guy who constantly complains about open world games. So this makes sense, and I don't hate this idea at all. But at the same time, you know, if they're going to try to sell me on a new Bioshock game that's 50-hour campaign and opportunity to spend hundreds of hours in exploring this world, um, if, if that's, you know, what they're going to try to sell, if they're going to try to make this the next Fallout game rather than the next Bioshock game, I'm going to immediately be like, okay, no, I'm, I'm good. I'll just, uh, I'll stick to not playing the new Bioshock. Thank you very much. So again, I think this is squarely somewhere in the middle. It's just a lot of interpretation and people being excited that there's even a lick of Bioshock news to talk about, but nonetheless, uh, it's hard to say without a proper reveal, but more, more to the point, I hope this just says that we're all that much closer to, uh, this project being like a legitimate thing. Although the position there, they seem to be hiring for, seems like a position you would need in the earlier phases of game development. So I still suspect we're many years off from seeing this game at the earliest. My, my speculation is that at the absolute earliest, this is a 2023 game, but more likely a 2024 game. So we will probably have to wait a long time to really see that. But guys, with that said, that's, that's our news for the week. It's a, it's a, like I said, short news week. Now we do have the important enough news stories, stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions. Uh, So we'll blast those really quick. We do have a handful of them. Uh, but other than that, that's it. So real quick, while Xbox has begun dropping the requirement for gamers to have uh, active Xbox Live subscription to enjoy their free-to-play games, it appears that a few notable exceptions are still lagging to catch up with a new feature parody. Both Activision's Call of Duty Warzone and once published but now independent Destiny 2 seem to require some back-end adjustments to turn their games truly free-to-play, but for now it looks like there won't be any fixes available for those games in, for, until an undetermined date. So no free-to-play, full free-to-play, no Xbox Live required on those games for at least uh, a little while longer. Um, Then Windows Central reports that Bethesda Studios' Alpha Dog has been experimenting with uh, more mobile games based on Bethesda-owned properties, including a Doom spinoff game for Android devices that's apparently been out for a while, but people just didn't know about it because they never announced it. They never said anything about it. It's just been silently in a kind of testing phase. So the game is called... The game is called Mighty Doom, and similar to popular mobile game Archero, which I've never heard of, uh, the game is like a top-down kind of shooting mini-slayer game uh, where you rip and tear through rooms of enemies. Um, you can literally go ahead and look at this in the Google Play Store. It's It's been there for months now, but apparently they just never announced or say anything about it because it's still in some kind of testing or beta phase. So I guess they didn't expect people to find it or want people to find it, but it's been publicly available if you search for it. So weird situation there, but uh, definitely check that out if you're looking for some more Bethesda on mobile. Next, gamesindustry.biz reports that Creative Assembly, the team behind Halo Wars 2, have announced that they're opening a new UK studio in Horsham, West Sussex. The Total War developer notes that it has grown over 20% in the last year and now represents the largest UK game developer with 800 full-time employees. That's surprising that they're the largest. Uh, Creative Assembly said that the new office, exp- office expansion is intended to support the company's continued growth. Next up, Windows Central reports that uh, Rogue Factory have released a Master Chief-themed Halo 8-piece dinnerware set complete with large dinner plates, small dinner, small plates, two six-inch bowls, and two 14-ounce mugs. The dishes are made of stoneware material, and the price for the set is 70 bucks. available now at Target and I'm not sure where else. Windows Central also reports that Amazon Alexa is getting even smarter with integration for Microsoft's Game Pass service. 
According to PC Magazine, uh, starting available now in the U.S., Amazon Alexa users can link their Xbox account to the Alexa app and use their voice for a number of Alexa commands. Any device powered by Alexa, including Amazon's extensive Echo lineup of products, should be able to take advantage of the following new commands, including remote installing specific Xbox Game Pass games to your console. Just say, Alexa, download game name from Game Pass, and she'll do that. You can ask her information on popular games currently on Game Pass, ask what games are new to Game Pass or leaving the service soon, and ask specifically what games that may be available on Game Pass. Next up, GamesIndustry.biz announces or this was also kind of late last week, that Arcane Studios, the team behind Dishonored and the upcoming Deathloop, have announced that the upcoming Deathloop has been delayed from May 21st to now September 14th. In a joint statement on Twitter, the uh, art director and game director apologized for the delay, explained the following. Close, we're committed to quality and preserving the team's ambition with Deathloop while ensuring that the health and safety of everyone at Arcane will be using the extra time to accomplish our goals, create a fun, styling, mind-bending player experience. Basically the same delay announcement we get from everyone. Cool, take your time, make the game what it needs to be. Now the important thing here is that this is the Arcane game that is exclusive to PS5 that they have to get out the door before they can fully be working for Xbox as part of the Xbox Game Studio because they have to fulfill this commitment to make this game exclusive to PlayStation 5 before they can uh, you know, move on to what's next. So... That's kind of the significance here for Xbox is we need to get Deathloop out the door so we can move Arcane on to being part of Team Xbox and see what they do from here. And then lastly, Windows Central reports that Mojang Studios have long been working on the next Minecraft update, Caves and Cliffs. The update was originally planned to release this summer, but Mojang Studios have made the difficult decision to split the two into separate updates, now being a Caves update and a Cliffs update. And the reason for the uh, the delay uh, are many, but ultimately it comes down to preserving the quality, blah, blah, blah. Same thing, health of the talent at, the, at Mojang, making sure that they're given sufficient time to reasonably create the game, give the best experience, blah, blah, blah. So look forward to updates on those expansions at a later date. And guys, with that said, we are done. That's it for the podcast. As a reminder, we just got to do our little wrap-up segments. I know the ones you're most looking forward to. You're not here for the comments. You don't give a shit about a bounce house as a tent. You want to know what's coming to you want to know what's coming to Xbox this week. Well, shut the fuck up. I'm about to tell you. You got 12 new games coming to coming to Xbox this week. You can buy them. They're coming out this week on April 13th. It's Xbox One X Enhanced, so it's, it's enhanced for last gen. It's Night Squad 2, a top-down game where you play as a Night Squad, not like Knights with Swords, but like Knights like the Nighttime. Kingdom of Arcadia comes out on optimized for new consoles, but it looks like it was made for iPhone circa 2000 and never. Uh, the Friends of Ringo Ishikawa comes out April 14th and is also an NES-looking game. Hitchhiker comes out April 15th and looks actually pretty cool. I saw this on the Nintendo Direct today. It looks kind of interesting. I kind of want to play it. Rain on Your Parade comes out April 15th, and God knows what the fuck that is. It looks like a bunch of kids smashing the shit out of cars. That's what happens when you don't let children drive. Savage Halloween comes out April 15th. I definitely want to play this game. It is like an 8-bit 2D platformer Halloween adventure game. It looks fucking awesome. Kind of reminds me of the game Forever Halloween, which was a, a Steam PlayStation Vita game. I wonder if this is the same developer. Next comes Sure Footing, which is some kind of little uh, cyberpunk-looking 2D jumpy game. And then the Dark Side Detective, uh, A Fumble in the Dark, comes out April 15th. This game also looks awesome. Lots of cool games this week. It is some, like, 8-bit-looking, carnival, Halloween-type-looking uh, game. I, why are there so many cool little uh, Halloween-type games coming out in the middle of April? 
I don't know. Uh, heal console edition comes out April 16th. It's optimized for Series X and S, so you can use next-gen power to heal yourself from having to play that game. MLB The Show 21 Digital Edition Deluxe, April 16th, optimized for Xbox Series X. You know it's the game you've been waiting for. It's Major League Baseball, more like Major League Bitch, because that's what Sony looks like, because their game is on Xbox Game Pass. Now, next up, we've got Super Meat Boy Forever. This is a game that is a sequel to Super Meat Boy, uh, Not Forever, and it, I thought this game came out two years ago, but whatever. Tribal Pass is a deer-hunting top-down 2D game, and I have no interest in it, and therefore you shouldn't either. That is going to do it for all of our new game releases of the week, but wait! You fucking idiot. I haven't told you about the games with gold that were the exact same last week, but here they are again anyway. Fuck you. Vikings, Wolves of Midgar, available for the whole month. Why haven't you downloaded it yet? Are you dense? Truck Racing Championship? Holy shit, it's available April 16th through May 15th. And then don't forget about Dark Void. It's available until April 15th, so download it now or forever hold your peace. Today is the last day to download this game, you fucking dolt. Lastly, Hard Corpse Uprising, which is basically just Contra, is available from April 16th to April 30th. So what are you waiting for? Go ahead and play that. And that is going to do it for our entire podcast. Now, remember, whoever it was, Flips Madman or whatever, if you listen to the outback, the 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 knockback episode on fast food, you can change the way I do the outro. But until you do or don't uh, f- fail or succeed at that task, I get to do the outro. And how do I want to do the outro today? Well, I didn't script it, so I have no fucking clue how to end the podcast. In fact, I think I'm just going to tell you a nice long story. You want me to end with power your dreams? No, I'm not going to end with power your dreams. So here's the deal. Yesterday I was at the store and I was walking down the aisle, and then out of nowhere.
Big Boss.